welcome to Terragard, a world of adventure. Atos, come and face me! Of heroes. Elroy, jump! Of battle. Welcome to Terragard Tales, Season 1, The Lunar Sundering, The Grummerand, Part 5, written and narrated by D.S. Tierney. Begin Recitation 1, as spoken, intersperse hand gestures. Begin Counter Recitation, repeat hand gestures in reverse. When completing three cycles, begin recitation two. The gray sepulchre lurched to a halt. The jarring suddenness shook the floor, knocking those unprepared onto their backsides. No one laughed. A solemn cloud hung over the survivors. Scarab sensed their eyes on him, furtive, sideways glances as he slouched against the desk, feeling old and tired. And then Tagulo, the small, hairless creature and guardian of the Grey Sepulchre. Paying the toll for all of them, Gulo grumbled, studying Scarab's addition to the ledger. Scarab cleared his throat and stood with considerable effort. The injuries suffered to his body matched only by the flaying of his spirit. It is paid. No need to cry about what can't be taken back. Gulo turned away from the book, eyes narrowing. What you seek should not be sought. Then you know where it is. Yes, the guardian answered. Gulo knows all if you have the blood to pay. Yet, Gulo thinks you have little left to bargain with. I'll give whatever there is. Plenty of others. Gulo hunched over, grasping the edge of the desk. His nose twitched as he looked at the others. No, I didn't pay their toll to take it away. This is my burden. The creature chuckled. (laughs) Gulo's kindness hid the truth. You have nothing left. The weight and finality of the statement hit Scarab hard. To know his survival was tied wholly to the wild gamble of the Grummerand being where he thought it was made him want to retch. If the book wasn't down there, the Grey Sepulchre would collect. Your wagers are reckless, the nameless gambler remarked. So short was the time Scarab spent with him that even his face faded into obscurity. You have to understand the odds. I do, the boy protested. There are two of us, so the odds are even. Fifty (laughs) percent. Boy, that's what you believe? That you've already lost every game you'll ever play, just like you'll lose this hand. How do you know that? Maybe I have the best. The gambler dropped his cards, spreading them out in time with his smile. I know, because I've learned you're addicted to long shots. Long shots, 
If the memory was a warning against following this path, it came too late. The wager was placed for good or ill. The outcome set in motion. Scarp's left arm itched. As he inspected the limb, he found a withering sickness around his wrist that reached up his forearm. The sickness would continue through his body, taking what it deemed as its payment. The toll was not fatal, unless, like Scarab, you promised the room too much for its service. He opened and closed his hand, testing it. If he had to lose it, perhaps the warrior cultist could teach him to summon a fiery replacement. Something told him removing the limb would not stall the advance of the withering. Scarab, I want a word. Basto approached as Scarab pulled his sleeve to cover the arm. No need to expose a weakness, or lack thereof. Scarab noted how well Basto appeared. A few marks along his neck and forearms, but nothing serious. How well had he defended himself? Enough so to be the least injured person in the room? Did the ghouls ignore him? Or was someone presenting Basto as an option, knowing the disdain Scarab felt toward him? Lessons in tradecraft were helpful, but he didn't need them to realize the value in being wary. Scarab trusted very few who are not of his falchieri. Not now, Philiskeen. Scarab pushed past him and addressed the entire room. Heal quickly. Those who can't walk on their own need to be carried. Why? What? We should remain here. Why continue this quest? With Hattie... We can trade her to Yinxin for the orb. It's his wife. He'll see reason. No, Scarab answered. You have no authority to summarily dismiss me. If you don't stand down, I'm giving myself authority to dismiss your head from your body. Jabor brandished an arming sword, shoving Basto as he took position beside Scarab. The muscular warlock was renowned for his amusing penchant of removing limbs, and even mimed the action for Basto. Enough bickering, Margaret shouted. All we ask for is transparency. If you have a reason, be plain about it. Scarab flexed his hand again. It shook with the effort of trying and failing to make a fist. I'll be plain, but not too plain, he thought. We won't remain here because we can't. That's not how the room works. The door to the sepulcher swung open as he spoke, ready to show them out. To linger much longer would incite Gulo to seek additional payment. Even now, the creature bounced up and down on the desk, fidgeting with its large, droopy ears as he watched the many occupants. A sweeping breath of dank air brushed against his cheek as he approached the door. The hallway beyond, a broken and ancient throat into a dark beast. They were far below the surface of the world. Dondar wrote a series of treatises on the old city, claiming the very stones of the first city lived. The original Decrow buried the halls out of fear, but it wasn't enough. Its life force sought them, reaching up and claiming victims in the dozens. And so they buried it again. Looking down the passage, Scarab could understand what Dondar's words tried to convey. The hallway had weight and demanded attention. A presence that, when recognized, 
looked back. This is a bad place, the warrior cultist said, joining Scarab in looking down the hall. Yes, thank you for your help in opening the door. I never got your name. It's Sombrath. I'm impressed by the magic you've used in replacing your missing... Scarab, Margaris interrupted. He turned to find everyone staring. You want more plain speaking? Fine. Turning Hattie over would accomplish nothing. It would accomplish our escape with the locomotress. Would it? We could make it north, build a new home. But Yingsen would follow and wipe us out. Basto opened his mouth, but Scarab continued. How do I know this? Because someone in this room is reporting to him. Scarab looked around. No one stared at him any longer. You're jumping at shadows. Perhaps, Margaris. Perhaps I am. But who knew we sought the Grey Sepulchre? I didn't know we would use the room until we left the rally point. And yet, here was Hattie, laying in wait. And we'll pull it out of her. Jabor slapped the flat of his blade against his palm while he approached the old woman. Let's find out exactly who our traitor is. She won't talk, Margaret said. No, she won't. So she comes with us. When we find what we need to block Yingsen from following us, then we'll trade her. The old woman laughed through the gag. <laughs> her eyes spoke in a language haunting in its familiarity, but just as elusive. What did she know? Let's prepare to leave. Kinnaman remained unconscious, a concerning development. Scarab stood over the old plague woman tending to his wounds. A cloquier watched her closely as she worked. All of the cloquier watched the plagues. They didn't normally behave so paternally. An unusual mystery that would need to wait. The old woman doused a rag in water cleaning the dark burns along his skin, muttering tribal words few knew the translation for. Will he live? In a way, the woman whispered. A bit of carathar root would quicken the healing to his body, but I cannot say for his mind. Scarab pointed at a face of dead twigs. Wesley nodded, pulling them out, then hissing as they crumbled in his grip. No matter, Scarab said, opening Wesley's hand and sifting through enough solid matter to make the spell work. We don't need much. Changing this into Karasar root was a simple transmutation spell under normal circumstances. By dousing an object in purified blood, change would occur. Yet without that crucial ingredient, things got messier. A sigil would need to be carved into the caster's flesh purifying the blood as it rose through the wound. Such blooding was looked down on as rudimentary and paganistic, but they were far beyond the time for proper decorum. Scarab readied a blade to cut his right arm, knowing the blood in his left was tainted with the magic of the sepulchre coursing through his veins. The knife shook unsteady over his right forearm, and he struggled to maintain a grip on the hilt. Useless he grunted. A poorly formed stroke would ruin the spell. Margaret snaked her arms beneath his. The warmth of her body pressed against him. 
She took the knife from his hand while holding his right arm firm. Speak as I cut, she whispered. Scarab closed his eyes, locking himself in a dark corner in his mind as she sliced. The words came out, known so well he could recite them in his sleep. Blood bubbled to the surface of his skin, screaming at the edges of each cut and trickling down his arm. Scarab opened his eyes as Wesley exclaimed, It's working! Long dead plants writhed, turned green and took new shape. Blossoms of vibrant purple petals formed, withered, and rebloomed red. The plague woman took the ends of the plant and moistened the roots in her mouth. When she was satisfied, she inserted them in Kinnaman's mouth, working his jaw to make him chew. Any time will tell now. Time is not our friend. Will he live? Again, the old plague chanted, waving her hands over Kinnaman's body. Her face turned sour and she spat. That can't be good, Wesley said. His body is healing, but his mind is lost. Is there no way to retrieve it? I don't know, she wept. Please do not punish me. I know I failed. No one will punish you, Spiro said loudly. He's dead weight, Basto said. Let's finish him and move on. If you touch him, I will finish you, Jabor snarled. Scarab walked round the room, searching frantically for the spirit. Tarkoon! Spirit, where are you? Tarkoon! The plagues moaned, covering their ears against the cursed name. More madness! Bastu said, pointing a hand at Scarab. Your spirit can't follow you here, Margaret said softly. It can, but perhaps it doesn't know. At the door, Scarab shouted again, If you are bound to me, I command you to appear. Tarkoon descended from a shadow across the ceiling. The beaten spirit bent as he touched down, dragging a leg in the dust. Who was injuring him? Another question that needed to wait, but there would be answers given. To everything. You are bound to me, yes. Tarkoon nodded. Scarab pulled the spirit into the room as Gulo shrieked, Bristles of hidden hair rose, protruding from the creature like spikes on a porcupine. It screeched again, ready to jump from the desk and charge the spirit. Not allowed! Yes, he is, Scarab countered. I paid his toll as well. Gulo shook his head and turned to the book, frantically finding Scarab's entry. The spikes disappeared as he turned back, sniffed, and then skittered in the dark recesses beneath the desk. Foul! Foul! Be fouled and foul! Indeed. We cannot linger. Scarab dragged Tarkoon toward his friend's body. Gulo's payment will be sizable if we malinger, and he will no longer be kind in how he collects. What payment did you make? Spiro looked round as he asked. Others nodded. Old Hattie shook with laughter. (laughs) 
Are you intending to do what I believe you are? Margaret put a hand on his shoulder. The warning in her eyes would be a strong deterrent any other time. I must. We cannot carry Kinnaman. And there are answers I need from this spirit. It's what I must do. Kinnaman's mind might still heal, or something in the Grummeran might help. If so, Tarkoon could be expelled. If not, while well, Scarp was not ready to face that reality yet. Without any further preamble, he shoved the spirit into the flesh and held Kinnaman down as his body convulsed. The action exposed his withered arm. The sickness had climbed midway up his bicep. Soon, it would be too late to do anything about. It was always too late. Pakun, that was the name you asked about earlier. Spiro watched the forced possession from afar, cradling two of the plagues in his embrace. A feral cry grew in ferocity. <laughs> Scarab first thought it to be Gulo and turned to the desk, but there was no sign of the guardian. Then his eyes fell on the old plague woman as she shook, holding her head. With sudden spryness, she leapt to her feet and scrambled across the floor, grabbing a discarded knife. Cursed! Abomination! She yelled and ran at Kinnaman. Wesley intercepted stepping into her path and put one arm across her chin, holding her tight in a choke. The woman jabbed the knife into his side and he grunted, then wrenched her head round. The old plea gurgled and slid from his grasp. Her face slapped the floor while her body shook in time with Kinnaman. <laughs> one less toll to pay. Mm. Sadly, it doesn't work that way. The possessed body struggled to stand, and without having to ask, Wesley and Jabor flanked their friend, holding him steady. Tarkoon would need time to acclimate to the new body while they moved. What about the plague woman? Basto held a handkerchief to his face, ashen disgust coloring his skin. Gulo is hungry, Scarab said as he stepped out of the sepulcher. That was answer enough. Sombrath laughed. <laughs> I heard many things about the Falkyrie. So far, you have not disappointed. Margaris pushed past the warrior cultist and grabbed Scarab's left arm, examining it. I saved you from Yingsen's cuff so you could do this? How long until it spreads across your body? I truly do not know. I've known you to be many things, Scarab. Altruistic is not one of them. I have no wish to martyr myself. I plan to cheat the toll at my first opportunity. With the Grummerand? Possibly. His throat vibrating with a need to scream. He had not wanted Yingsen's mold to be her. Not Margaris. Basto. Sombrath. Even Spiru. But not her. Not many people know that name. She scowled and pulled his sleeve down avoiding eye contact. Was it sadness over his fate, or guilt at betraying him? Yingsen droned on about it many times, with his frothing desire to destroy you. I assume that was what you sought. Yingsen hates competition. A reasonable explanation, but too reasonable? 
Scarab could not decide. Where do we go from here? If you could help with Kinnaman, I think he and the spirit will need your expertise more than I. Any number of the teachers from Scarab's past would tell him it was a mistake to take his eyes off an obvious enemy, but it felt more important to keep Yingsen in the dark on what decisions he was making. Margaris nodded curtly and paused as if to speak, but said nothing. As she walked away, the one-armed cultist watched, leaning against the wall as he tucked a bit of tamac under his lower lip. If I were Yingsen, separating you from your allies would be my first priority. I have no allies. <laughs> Good. You get it. Yes. Scarab understood. Friends created vulnerability. Friends. Dunna was a good friend, and in the Grand Tower of Orphans, those were hard to find. Scarab wasn't an orphan, just pretending to be, though the life Mother forced him to live often made him feel like one. In two years, he would be of age and could dictate his own path. No more lessons, no more moving. He could plant roots, find a caste. Jinqua! One of the warrior cultist overseers shouted. This was Scarab's name in this place. Pawn! And Donna? The war leader wants to see you. Donna slapped him on the shoulder, a grin as wide as the living rivers on his face. This is it, Jin. This is what we've been waiting for. A score of hateful glares followed them as they left. A visit to the war leader meant harsh punishment or great privilege. The pair hadn't broken any rules of late, so punishment felt unlikely. Up to the tower they rose, winding round the ancient staircase. At the top, the door stood open, and beyond, the war leader with his back to them. Wait here until he addresses you, the cultist said, closing the door as he left. Once the door clanked shut, the war leader spun round and strode toward them. He took his time inspecting each boy, gripping them below the chin with his iron gauntlet, roughly turning their heads. It reminded Scarab of how a horse trader inspected a purchase. You three have been summoned because I see some semblance of promise in you. He slapped Parn's face lightly and walked behind his desk to sit. There was a time when I was a great warlock, fighting on the front lines commanding scores of brazen warriors. Now, I'm a milkmaid to winding cows. Who among you would care to help me change that? Change it? Uh, sir? Donna added after a scornful look from the war leader. Yes, I'm building a new army. One loyal to me. One that will raise me back to my proper status. He stared at each of them in turn until they nodded. Good. There are three of you. I need only two. It was an easy decision. Donna stood in the middle, so he spun, grabbing Parn's arm and pinning it behind the boy's back. The war leader's chamber was filled with weapons. Scarab helped himself to a spear, and with a rigid thrust, stuck Parn in the throat. The boy gagged, 
choking for breath that would not return while staring with wide eyes at the one who killed him. The body slumped in Dunna's arms, and he let Parn drop unceremoniously to the floor. The war leader laughed. <laughs> you work well together, both boys nodded. Sadly, only one of you can serve me. Donna looked at the spear in Scarab's hands. Scarab? Scarab! Scarab! The decision was less easy. You would do well to stand away from the wall, Sombrath. The stones here are alive. The warrior cultist sprang away from his relaxed slouch, coughing on a mouthful of tamac juice he had yet to spit. Blood and piss, he snarled then looked at his feet. What about the floor? Not much to do about that, Scarab said as he pushed Hattie into the front. But maybe if it gets angry with us, it'll go for her first. Hattie laughed. <laughs> they marched as they had before, and when everyone was clear of the gray sepulcher, the door slammed and faded away. Scarab did not believe he would see the place again. Neither the door nor Gulo were pleased with him, and would be less so if he managed to cheat them out of his life. Do you know where you're going, boy? Hattie had managed to remove the gag from her mouth. There was no need to put it back in. With the cuff, there was minimal danger of her using magic, and perhaps she would be stupid enough to utter a secret. Of course I do. But no, he didn't. So far, Scarab coasted on the knowledge of old lessons, stumbling through situations. Where they went from here depended entirely on his ability to find a clue that matched something from the dank corners of his life. And not just find, but remember the lesson it matched with. Was this knowledge your mother gave you? Hattie glanced over her shoulder, earning a rough shove from Scarab. Did she see the Grumerand and tell you where to find it? My mother was a charlatan. Oh, no, child. I knew your mother. She was anything but a fraud. Interesting. Scarab hadn't known she and Hattie ever met. He supposed there were many people mother could have known in the time they were apart. They moved cautiously through the main stretch of tunnel, coming upon branching halls both left and right. Scarab passed them by. No markings or clues drew him down their hidden depths. Hattie cackled each time, needling his fear that he led the procession on a fool's errand into oblivion. How long before someone asked... Hattie stumbled and sat hard beside a tunnel of roots and pulsating mushrooms. Sombrath held out a hand to pick her up, but the old hag swatted it aside. <laughs> How far do we have to travel with this wretch? Sombrath spit a wad of tamac juice on Hattie's lap. He doesn't know. Quiet old woman. A glimmer of light behind Hattie's head caught Scarab's attention. Is that true? Scarab shouldered past the warrior cultist, pulling out a loose root with his good arm. The sepulchre's toll scratched along his back, wrapping around his spine, but it had not yet reached his right side. 
tearing the roots away from the wall. He uncovered a rune etched into the stone. No, it wasn't etched. Scarif ran a finger across the indentation, committing it to memory. A rune not unlike the one he found in Yingsen's prison cell. Just as quickly as he discovered it, the rune disappeared back into the wall. Balls, Sombrath explained. Perhaps you were right about the stones down here. What did that rune mean? It means this is our path. But before a single step could be taken, Scarip! Come quick! The call came from the rear of the procession. Begrudgingly, he left the tunnel mouth. What's happened to him? Seeing Kinnaman on the ground with Margaris hunched over him. The spirit inside. Whoever bound it to you also saddled it with a curse. It forbids it from revealing information. Each time it tries, harm comes to him. And now that it's inside Kinnaman, it harms him as well. Jabor gripped his sword so tightly his knuckles turned white. We must exercise it. No. Scarab lifted Kinnaman to his feet, despite their protests. Tarkoon blinked from behind those eyes, and he would need the spirit. Margaris knew that. He clearly wanted the spirit gone. No? I won't stand by and watch Kinnaman die for a spirit. Jabor was never so insistent. Had he been turned as well? Or was he always an agent of Yingsen? A deep wail interrupted any further discussion. The cry of a hunting beast echoed through the stone tunnels. What is that? Nothing good, Scarab answered, carrying Kinnaman into the root passage. Hattie's malevolent cackle followed behind. Recitation 2 The Wild Call The dead shall not know death. The living shall not know life. What is buried remains. What is caught becomes. Thank you for listening to Part 5 of The Grummerand. Please join us next time for Part 6. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a 5-star review and comment. For additional updates, follow our website at www.dstierney.com or on Twitter at dstierney1. If you'd like to help support and see the podcast grow, Consider joining the Terror Guard Tales community on patreon.com slash terrorguardtales. Terror Guard Tales, all characters, locations, stories, and content are copyright 2019 and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.